Alright. Shoes and a shield today. Alright. Hey, uh, I'm looking at the floor and I'm looking at all sorts of different kinds of shoes here. Here we got work work shoes. We've got uh, kind of a dress shoe over here. We've got tennis shoes here. Is that called a tennis shoe or running shoe or tennis, uh, basketball shoe? And we have more basketball tennis shoes. There's sandals there, leather, more sandals. Uh, are those tennis shoes there or are they running shoes? Walking shoes, basketball shoes. Here we go. Somebody's barefooted? These are my dress shoes. <laughs> Eldon's barefooted back there. All right. These are my dress shoes. Dress boots? Uh, we got to be something different. Yeah. Work boots. Dress boots. Okay. Anyway, when, when this kind of um, goes right along with where we're at because we see all these shoes, and uh, you have dress shoes, casual shoes, and work shoes, and uh, just uh, all sorts of shoes. And then you get into sports, and you have a different shoe for every sport. And then uh, you have a different shoe in a particular sport that has to be on different kind of turfs, so you have to have different shoes for those turfs. So a special shoe for everything. And so what we're going to look at tonight are uh, different shoes. This is a shoe store. <laughs> That's my new business, shoe stores. So we're going to examine the third piece of the armor, and maybe the fourth. Uh, definitely a reference to feet and shoes tonight. And uh, I want to tell you that um, this is right out of the Bible. This is right out of Ephesians 6. And uh, there Johnny's eyes went up and they go, oh, really? <laughs> anyway... Uh, we are dealing with spiritual war, if we will uh, remember that. And uh, I have filled it in the last couple of weeks about the spiritual war. I've become more attuned to it. And you um, will realize that uh, one of the battles that you're really in is um, your enemy <laughs> has caused havoc. Uh, we want to protect every part of us. And when we look at the shoes, it's going to help us to recognize that one little part that doesn't seem to be that important, that doesn't look that great, the feet, the shoes, is uh, playing a key role. Every part of us plays a very key role. And so well, why did Paul have to list this in the armor? Why does he make such a big deal out of it here? You know, Why does Paul do that sometimes? It seems like it's less important. And then we start thinking about importance in the Scripture, and sometimes we weigh things over other things, but honestly, when you think of spiritual gifts, there are gifts that seem to be more important than others, although they really are not. They all play key roles in what they are to do. Well, that's the way that um, this uh, particular element in this armor is concerned. We don't want to neglect any part of what is the whole. So uh, we talked about the belt of truth plays a key role. Matter of fact, that's the first thing that we had to examine because if we don't have the truth and we're not committed to the truth, then what difference does anything else make then? And so the belt goes off, everything else comes down, and all of a sudden, you know, nothing means anything. Um, but, the, but, but the shoes, uh, they're, they're definitely important. Uh, breastplate, very important because there you have like what would be considered our thinking, the emotions, the will. It's your uh, protecting your vitals spiritually. Uh, breastplate protects the physical aspect as far as the organs are concerned. Your life uh, is behind that. So you've you got to have that breastplate of righteousness. But if you get wounded in the feet, 
you're going to be an easy target for the enemy and uh, you're not going to be able to do anything. The feet contribute uh, much to the rest of the whole body, even though you wouldn't think that that's as important as some of the other ones. We stand on our feet. We don't stand on our chest. (laughs) Our chest needs the breastplate, but the feet is what uh, makes us stand. And uh, that reminds you of, um, again, it's uh, the, the gifts and all the parts that they do. And here we are looking at these little parts in this whole picture that uh, Paul gives us and uh, shows the roles that they play. And then he'll put it in the spiritual sense. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this evening and thank You for the time that we have to be able to look at Your Word. And uh, we always pray for Your Holy Spirit to guide us into what Your truth is and what is important is You and uh, that we be committed to You and that our lives would change as a result of knowing You. Knowing God is what our life is about and then uh, being adjusted to becoming more like Jesus Christ. Thank You, Lord, for uh, conforming us into the very image of Him and uh, we want to know a little bit more of You tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, the very uh, first one we look at in verse 15 says, Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Paul has Roman soldiers around him, possibly uh, one or two guards that are right there at his side. He's looking at them. He's seeing the armor. Of course, if you uh, are a citizen of that time, you know full well how a soldier looked. And uh, when he saw a certain type of sandal which had a kind of like a a sole with straps on it and it would be holding firmly to the feet, that's what they would wear. Uh, It wasn't kind of like the army combat boots that we would think of today, uh, but they did have these as protection and they had um, on the bottom of them some kind of hobnails, studs underneath like spikes. And that gave him extra traction and stability. And so he would be firm whenever he would be able to, um, to stand. And he doesn't want to slip. He doesn't want to fall. If he happens to be on a slick surface and he's trying to fight the enemy, and there he is, he's, uh, he's falling down, he's slipping and sliding because he doesn't have the proper feet wear on, then it can cost him his life. And so it's really important, just like the belt of truth. You know, you, you've got to have that belt on. You've got to have that breastplate on. That's all a part of us. And now this, uh, this third one that's dealing with our feet. Um, a lot of times the enemy would make these, uh, kind of like what we're familiar with, uh, mines. They would have traps set out in the field or somewhere where they think the enemy would come. They would uh, take a piece of wood, get it as sharp as they possibly could at a pointed end, stick it into the ground, and have it sticking up just enough where it could uh, stab them in the feet and as they're uh, making their way across there and now the enemy is uh, not going to be able to produce. Um, so it would be just enough to where they, they couldn't see it. It, w- it would be sneaky, uh, but it would uh, could do some major damage. So if you don't have the right pair of shoes on, as they run through there, you're going to have severe pain, you're going to have bleeding, and uh, probably other things that could be worse uh, that could come along, infections, and then you're out of action. Even if the enemy wasn't even around, and there you are out in the field, and you have bad feet. Anybody ever have bad feet and gone shopping at Walmart, and you can't wait to get out of there, to get into the car and go home and rest? (coughs) 
<coughs> okay, the enemy's trying to take my voice tonight. And so, and my cheese is around here somewhere. Behind the sign. Is it behind the sign? Behind the board thing. That could help. <laughs> I can feel it now. This has happened before. All right. I'll tell you what it was. <coughs> Oh, must be that ice cream that I had earlier. It's the fans. It's the dirt, right? <laughs> hey, I want to tell you, this tea is good, <clears throat> but I might have to have more. I don't know what's happening. This is National uh, Ice Cream Month, as I was, if you pointed out earlier today. So make uh, make use of that. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> you know, Dairy Queen... How about Central Dairy? That's Bastion even better. Rice. I mean, they, okay. We'll never make it, right? How about Bastion Robbins? They're open until like nine. Nah, not there. That's it's not good enough. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now they're marching on these rough roads, these rocky roads. We're talking. They're ice cream again. <laughs> Jagged rocks. <laughs> I'm ice cream minded tonight. They're wading through these stream beds with the sharp rocks in there. Have you ever walked on rocks before that were sharp and you just hate it? Or you have to walk across the driveway and you didn't want to put your shoes on at night? And you go, oh, I knew this would happen. Oh, man. It ha-, you know, and they even stick in your feet. Okay, well, anyway, a soldier, you can imagine that's in war and he's out about without any kind of shoes. There's no way he could fight. There's no way. He's going to have blisters. He's going to have cuts. He's going to be swollen. And he cannot operate. He's out of action. He's laid out. Can't fight. They don't want The the hobbits? They're not fighting the hobbits, though. No, you've got to get in the right channel. Okay. Okay, how do we take this into application? What are we going to do with this? What do we do with something that is so physical that we can see it? Well, we don't... Uh, we don't have these shoes that we're putting on spiritually uh, in the physical sense, but we know that in the spiritual sense, if we don't prepare ourselves, if we're not standing firm, having shot our feet, what we're going to do is we're going to be stumbling, we're going to be sliding, we're going to be slipping, we're going to be falling, and what's going to happen is that we're, because we don't stand firm, well, we're going to lose the battle. We are going to be defeated. And that's why Paul says this is important. He says there's a preparation, having shod your feet with the preparation. And the word there has to do with, uh, and it can mean a couple things, but it's dealing with readiness. Being prepared, being ready. Uh, It's also meaning having a firm footing, being um, very firm, being solid, being prepared. And so he's saying you've got to be able to be prepared. Have yourself prepared if you're not uh, then you're going to have your sandals off and you're going to be walking on those sharp rocks and glass and everything else. Standing firm. Being able to stand firm, to be stable, to be prepared. Uh, go to Titus 3.1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. And that's that same Greek word. I'm going to fall. Be ready for every good work. Be prepared for anything that comes along. You want to be ready and uh, be able to do that when that time comes. So whenever you get blasted by the enemy, if you're not prepared, if you're not ready... 
He's going to maul you. And He's going to knock you down. You're going to fall. You're going to stumble. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16.13 might sound familiar to some people. We see this quite frequently though. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Right there. Stand fast. Be firm. Stand firm in the faith. We'll be watching. So it kind of parallels that passage. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? So what's he saying? Be ready at all times. Be ready to march. Be ready to fight. Uh, we must be standing firm. You may not be in a spiritual battle right now, but be ready because you will be, right? Um, many people are falling today, and they're not prepared. They're not ready when, when it happens. Um, do you know what you believe and why you believe it? When somebody from some false teaching and a cult comes along and challenges you with the uh, about authority of Scripture, are you ready to fire back at them of what the truth is, to always being ready to give a defense of what you believe, being able to tell why and what it is? Uh, what if they challenge you on the virgin birth? Are you ready to tell them truth on that? How about the resurrection? Are you ready to address them with those facts? Uh, the two natures of Christ, being uh, God, being man. Can you defend that? That sounds incredible to people. Or the Trinity. Are you ready to defend the Trinity? A lot of people uh, in the Christian realm, and I'll say Christian and put quotes, uh, are into modalism today. Uh, we know about the... Um, um, there's a Pentecostal church that believes in modalism. Uh, not all Pentecostals that way, but some are. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes is a modalist. Uh, they don't believe in the Trinity. They will say, well, they believe that there's, there's three, but there's, there's only one God, but there's not really the three persons. He's, he acts in different modes at different times. Um, that is false theology. It was kicked out of the church long ago. It's considered to be cultish. So, yes, I would consider T.D. Jakes to be cultish in many of his teachings. It's foreign to the gospel. Can I, can, if somebody addressed me on that, can I defend that? Here I stand. I can do no other. Martin Luther, dealing with uh, the Word of God and the authority of Scripture there. there. There's a great need at this hour, at the time that we live in, for God's people to be able to stand, to stand firm in what they believe. Uh, what God wants are people who are prepared prepared to stand there. So you can have an, a, a, an attack from coming from some kind of false theology. Or the enemy can attack you in so many other different ways. Unexpectedly. He's subtle, has many um, tactics. He can be an angel of light. Or he can come at you violently and condemn you and um, start bringing doubts. Uh, he can flatter you. He can inflame you with your favorite passions and really bring those up. He attacks the Scripture, and then other times he'll come back and quote Scripture at you, as he did Jesus. Sometimes he'll tell us that you're not good enough. You are bad. You are guilty. And then he'll come back and tell you how great you are. <laughs> I'm, wow, I'm really one of the... I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> so you see the extremes, how he can uh, operate. Uh, so... Sometimes he can be a legalist. And other times he can be the offset and be an antinomian. So, uh, there we go. He'll lull you into a lax 
And then at other times, He'll get you to be very busy. A lot of different ways that He comes at us. And so we must shod our feet and be prepared. We want to be firm, don't we? Barb. I know you know what this is. In the Greek, there's a uh, word namos, which deals with the law. And they're saying um, there's no law against us at all. I mean, we don't we don't have any kind of commands whatsoever. Uh, we can just do whatever we want. And so the Christian really has no law whatsoever. Antinomian. Now, granted, we are saved by grace and such, but we still have commands. If if you love Christ, you will obey Him. So we're uh, we're expected to uh, be obedient. But big big word for just uh, saying, hey, do whatever you want. And you're free. You're a Christian. You're saved by grace. You can just sin all you want. It's okay. <laughs> yes, it was. That was a big thing that was going on during the Reformation. Yep. Oh yes. Today you have you have both. You have legalism, which is the extreme opposite of this. People are bound up by all sorts of rules and regulations and laws. They're not even scriptural. And then the other side is those. What we're talking about is extremes. I think Satan is probably the master of going to extremes, and that's what we as people tend to do sometimes. We swing from one thing, or maybe to the other side, way over here, and we're not in balance. So Satan wants to get us out of balance. If he can do that, he has won a victory. Um, so did, did I answer that? The Antinomian versus the legalist. Yeah, Bill. That's pretty good. That's that's a good visual. So you're headed for a disaster either way. They're both bad. Just as bad as the other one. Okay. You you ought to pop that up off the internet somehow. You probably got away and you could probably see a visual of somebody driving down the road with one of them. It's amazing. Yeah, whatever you want. Okay, now that's that's one part that uh is dealing with firmness. There's a second part dealing with this shotting the feet with the gospel and it'll be mobility. If you have tennis shoes or running shoes you you have those running shoes so you can really run and move right you want to be the best that you can in basketball so you wear basketball shoes whenever I went to school there was one kind of shoe it was called a tennis shoe it was Converse Converse All-Star yeah (laughs) and some were black and some were white I think my first pair was actually like Zach's back there Converse that was it (laughs) they oh yeah they had high tops yeah sure did I think that's what I had and now it's the cool thing to have. Back then, I, other kids had white Converse with a little all-star. Uh, I forget his first name. Chuck Chuck, Chuck Taylor. Do you remember that? Eldon doesn't remember. Okay. Zach, do you remember? Yeah, he's looking it up on the Internet. He'll probably... You don't, you don't remember. Now, this is before your time. We must not be slow. We must not be heavy-footed. 
Uh, I think church people today can be should be excited, excited in a in a sense like they are at a baseball game, basketball game, football game, and they don't have to yell like they do there. But I'm I'm talking about a true excitement for for the Lord. Many go to church Sunday after Sunday, and they do it because it's the routine. It's the thing to do. I've always done it. Oh, it's Sunday morning. It's, uh, you know, I, I'll go. And so they go, but nothing happens. And uh, church really doesn't really mean anything to them. It's something to do. Uh, it's a routine. So they're defeated. And matter of fact, they're very useless because they're really not there for the right reason to worship God. I'm glad they're there, but if we're not worshiping Him... What they are, these people are slow, or they don't even move at all. They're heavy-footed. They're, they're just passengers. They're on the ride, but uh, they are not uh, using their feet. Uh, they don't even know they're in a spiritual battle. They have no idea that they're in war with Satan. And would you say that a lot of Christians don't even know they're in war? I think that's a problem, and we we can forget it from time to time, easily. Um, People can get tied up in the traditions, the, the formal worship. That's all weight, extra baggage that uh, really doesn't need to be there. You have no ability in that mobility. You have no quickness. Uh, you remember when David fought Goliath and they gave him this ridiculous outfit to put on, all this big armor? And, you know, he, he could barely even move around. And he wasn't going to fight Goliath like that. What did he do? He took it off. And uh, he fought, and, and knowing that this battle was really the Lord's, and of course he won that battle, but it, it was way too heavy. Um, we have to be free of all encumbrances. Uh, church has to kick, I think, a lot of heavy boots off. A lot of boots, baggage, things on there that really are going to be harmful. Uh, and don't get me wrong, it's not that they're... Uh, they shouldn't have committees. It's not that they should have shouldn't have the commissions and the reports and all the surveys and everything that goes with that. But it becomes so much of a hindrance of somebody just doing things just to be doing, and they're not doing the things they should be doing. And they get caught up in the things of the world. Whenever you have all of these. Meetings meetings are great, but uh, a lot of times we can uh, move on and get the gospel out and do whatever we need to do. Kick the heavy boots off. Okay, gospel of peace. Still on uh, on the shoes there, right? Um, having shod your feet with the preparation, that's what we just did there, preparation of the gospel of peace. And after reading several different ones. I've never really been really clear on this, and I think I've gone back and forth on it. But um, So I don't want to be dogmatic, but I'll tell you what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He says this is not necessarily talking about evangelizing here. The context is dealing with warfare. And when we look at warfare here, we are to have the belt of truth, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, shining your feet with the preparation of gospel of peace, taking the shield of faith, uh, helmet of salvation, defensive kind of armor that we are having on us. And in, not that it's uh, bad to go evangelize. He's not dissuading that, but he's saying in this context, with what is being put forth, uh, it is not that. 
Paul uh, has an object. And the object is, is to make sure that we stand, that we stand firm against the wiles of the devil, right? And, and he's just saying it even in this particular one. He's picturing a Christian who is under attack. Put on your defense. You're going to be under attack. Stand firm, right? Okay. With that thought, knowing night and day we can be attacked by the devil and all his powers, the defensive warfare that we have, Martin Lloyd-Jones then asked this question. I think it's pretty convincing. How can the question of evangelism possibly come into this matter of defensive warfare? How can anyone interpret it that way? Our interpretation must always fit the context. You don't take something and isolate it and make it say something other than what's being said, uh, other possible meanings. We have to take a word, we have to take a phrase, and make sure it fits the context. Knowing the context is standing, standing firm against the wiles of the devil, withstand, stand, stand, therefore, shod your feet, standing again, (laughs) standing firm. I mean, he has made this very clear. And so, and I know people will write books and use this as one of their favorite verses for evangelism. But, uh, and I don't knock them for that, but I think knowing what uh, Jones is saying here is that context is everything. And if we want to say something about evangelism, we have plenty of other verses. Granted, he uh, is taking um, a verse out of. Uh, I believe that's out of Isaiah. Uh, How beautiful are the feet that have the good news. Here he's saying the gospel, the gospel of peace, and that's what gospel is. But what is the idea here? We're fighting the enemy, and we must be planted firm. We want to be confident in who we are. We want to have a sense of assurance. We want to stand firm. We want to guard against falling and slipping and sliding. That's why we want to make sure we're well shot, well prepared. You must be sure of what you are doing. right? We want to be sure. Um, you don't want to slip. You want to have a firm grip. When we have these shoes on, we want to be firm on this. We don't want to be living our Christian life half-heartedly. Now he's talking into something where, hey, this is... If you're a Christian, you want to put everything into this. Are you just taking this for a good ride or do you take this thing seriously? Paul is, says, is saying, preparing uh, of the gospel of peace. We don't want to live our Christian life half-heartedly. We want to be firm. We want to be solid. We want to be assured. If you want to stand, you make sure that you can stand. You, you know, so that's part of uh, being ready. What is the the gospel of peace. Well, gospel is good news. Um, And granted, we are to take the gospel out to people, but here, the gospel of peace is the sense of like Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Here's how you can stand firm. Here's how you can be prepared. Here's how you can be ready whenever... Satan comes at you. Here's how you're prepared. Look in Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith. Right? Okay, declared righteous. That's happened. That's a one-thing package. It's been done already. We have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that gives us the best confidence that we can ever have. You have peace. You're no longer at war with Him. You're at peace through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we what stand. We stand in this grace. It's, it's up over uh, our heads. <laughs> All that grace. And rejoice in the hope of glory of God. So we have peace with God. Now we can take this. We can stand firm because we're no longer at war with God. We are at peace with God. We've been justified. We have great hope. So when we have the attack by the enemy, we can stand firm. We can be confident. We can be assured. We have hope, don't we? There is being ready. So when the next time you get attacked, you can say, oh, I've been justified by faith. God, by His grace, has saved me. Here's what He's doing for me now. He just tells me to stand firm. He says He will do the battle. And even though I don't like what's going on, God's taking care of this, and He's going to make me stronger as a result of this. Right? Now that is putting on your feet uh, with, with shoes. You're being prepared where you won't slip, where you won't slide, where you won't fall. Uh, go to Romans 5, 10, and 11. Uh, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled. We have peace. We've been reconciled, right? Enemies are the ones reconciled. We're reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Being saved in Christ. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The enemy comes up there and tells you, how do you... How do you know you're a Christian? Why do you think you're a Christian? Look what you just did. Look what you just thought. <laughs> Look what you're thinking. How can you be a Christian? Wings say, I've been justified by God. I was an enemy at one time. I was on the side of Satan. But look at this. I'm no longer an enemy. I have been reconciled to Him. And once I'm reconciled, I'm reconciled forever. That's good news. Hebrews 13. Is this a gospel? Is this good news? Hebrews 13. By the way, later on, Paul does talk about evangelism. And he, pray, and, and he says he wants them to pray for him as he goes out and puts that gospel out. So he definitely believed in that. We know that. But I think it's uh, about standing firm here. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The God of peace. The God of peace. We have peace with God. Confidence. We have confidence that God has a great love for us. Go to John 18.6. Um, this is Jesus being arrested and Judas is the one who's sicked all the uh, troops and officers, chief priests, Pharisees on him. 
verse 4, it says, Jesus therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. You know what happened? And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. All the soldiers, all the ones that were there, the guard and such, Jesus said, I am he, and boom, they just went. (laughs) And um, Peter was there. Peter saw that. Matter of fact, Peter was willing to take on the whole army himself too. Hey, Jesus is here by my side, look at this. That's really the way we need to be in the sense that we know that Christ is here by my side. He's going to take care of this deal. I mean, really. I mean, in, in another sense, it's even better. We, you know, we have His Holy Spirit there with us. So we need to be firm. We need to be mobile. And so, the gospel of peace. Are you ready? Are you prepared for the next attack? You will be attacked somewhere along the line. Probably sooner than later. A lot of times we don't recognize them as attacks. We think, well, that's just something that just happened. <laughs> okay, we go to the next one. What's the next one? In our uh, Ephesians here. Verse 16, above all, but he's not necessarily saying this is more important than the other ones. It's like, okay, now, add it on to this now. Taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Okay, we're at a point of transition. We're at the fourth piece. And if you'll remember, out of these six pieces, how many groups did we have for these six pieces? You can group them up into two groups. One is the kind of armor that should be on you all the time. It's it's attached to you. The belt of truth is attached to you. The breastplate of righteousness is attached to you. And what did we just wind up doing? The feet. Shoes. Shoes are attached to your feet. Right? Now we get into the next group which are not attached but you want to be ready at all times to grab them. If you happen to be in the barracks getting a rest and it does happen we get our rest we get a lot of rest where things are just going along just smooth. But then the call comes the bugle call comes and it's time because the enemy is coming again and you've got to pull up your other ones and now put them on because you don't always sleep with your helmet on uh, you have it ready uh, in this sense as far as the shield of faith um, you have it over here by your side be ready uh, but it's not attached to you so there's a little bit of the um, I guess you could say a transition there's a difference between having and taking what does he say here above all taking the shield of faith verse 17 take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. All those are three that you take. Take them up. The other ones uh, said, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation. That's elements that are always to be there. Don't ever take them off. Always be ready, right? That's a command. So now we have something that you... You want to take up. 
be ready to take that up. The shield to a Roman soldier was not the little hand-to-hand combat shield. The, the word here is therios, and it's a big, big shield. It's about four feet by two and a half feet. Four and a half feet tall, two and a half feet wide. And uh, that was to cover your whole body. Uh, pretty important. It's like a door. It's almost like carrying a big door around where you can, if you're being uh, shot at from the front, you can put that thing up there and get behind it. Or if they're coming from behind, you know, you put it up over your head and your back or whatever, turn around. But it covered most of the body. And it had a fireproof kind of uh, metal lining on it. It was made of wood most of the time. Then it would be covered with uh, maybe some kind of heavy oil leather. Um, Anyway, the soldiers would stand side by side by side, forming just a long line. A phalanx, I think that is what the Romans called it. And what they would do is they'd even uh, notch those things together. It was like hinge them together. And there would be one great big wall, and as they would march forward, they'd be behind there. Of course, their own guys would be behind them shooting the arrows out. But um, so they were pretty... uh, That had to be something if you'd see something that would be as long as a mile or even longer of nothing but shields and you couldn't see what was behind it and here they are this this thing is moving <laughs> it's a moving wall and so they advance and advance um, the enemy would be shooting these arrows and the tips of arrows are made with some kind of cloth and be soaked in a pitch and then they of course would uh, uh, light those and they'd, they would shoot these arrows the tip would be uh, lighted and the flame would come and uh, if it would hit um, the shield, of course, if you have this well-oiled, well, um, I guess you could say even watered down, whatever it took, but if you had oil in there, then that fire would uh, go out. But um, a lot of times the arrows would be hitting um, and they'd splatter flames everywhere. If it hit anything that was flammable, it would take up, you know, hit some kind of wood or something. So it was pretty dangerous. Uh, the, the pitch would burn fiercely. And so you can imagine the impact that would be made. That was uh, top-of-the-line technology for uh, warfare at that time. And so Paul knew that uh, having this shield of faith is really important. Uh, it can save your life. It can pierce through bodies. It can cause severe burns. Um, that, that could kill you. But anyway... Um, that is uh, a big thing. And so you want that shield to deflect or extinguish those arrows that are coming at you. Um, Easy to apply this. We know we are to be prepared for the assaults. The assaults are coming. The fiery darts. Uh, Is that what you guys have in your version? Fiery darts? Flaming arrows? Same thing. They're fierce. They're fiery. They're coming at you. Everybody's probably heard the story of Martin Luther, and he had such a warfare against uh, Satan that actually he threw uh, an ink pot at uh, the wall because it seemed like Satan was so real there at that time. And, uh, of course, that there today, uh, you can go in that um, place and then see the, the spot there on the wall that's supposed to be where he threw that uh, ink pot. Um, John Bunyan, uh, he had been in jail uh, simply because he preached the word out in the woods and uh, you weren't supposed to do that. That was illegal. He preached the word of God. Um, of course, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress as a result of that, one of the best books ever written in the history of mankind. 
And uh, similar experience as far as Satan being real to him. The enemy does not want you to know. The best thing that he can do is make Christians think that they are not in a warfare. And if he can get that accomplished, he has won a tremendous battle. And unfortunately, he is winning in a lot of big areas in that today because most people don't have a clue what is happening. And we can look in this world and we can pretty well have an answer for why we're in the condition that we are. If you want to look at it politically, if you want to look at it economically, I will tell you that it's, it really isn't the president that is really responsible for that. It isn't the senators and the governors. Yes, they've had something to do with certain things, but they're just pawns. They're really nothing because Satan and the demons have used these uh, people in huge ways. All the philosophies, they're coming from ultimately Satan. So all the things that have happened uh, are really going to finally come from the the top. Uh, The enemy doesn't want you to know that, though. He's causing all the problems. He bombards us with temptations, things like immorality, hatred, unloving, envy, anger. Does anybody have anger? If you've had anger today, you know who really worked that on you? Are you going to allow Satan to use anger? Granted, we have a battle with the flesh, and that's the biggest one. Okay, When it seems like I'm really pushing everything as Satan, I, I want to keep it in a context, but the thing is, ultimately, it does boil down to that. Uh, and I think I'm seeing this more real than I ever have before as, as I study along through this. I, you know, I never used to want to really give him that much credit, so I'd never mention him. I think that's going to extreme. You can go to extreme either way. I want to keep it on a balance. Sometimes it's just my stupid mistakes. Something stupid that I do. But um, the thing is, he bombards us with these things. Every one of us have trouble with anger. We need to work on that. Or we'd allow it and say, well, that's just the way it is. God forgives, you know, and that's the kind of person that I am, so I'm just going to allow it to happen. No big deal. I know what's right, but hey, listen, it'll all work out in the end. It's okay. Do we really take God seriously? I'm not kidding you. We should never let anger control us because that's an emotion that we talked about last week. And then you're not letting the truth come home to you. You're laughing at God and Satan is laughing at you because he just beat you. Are you going to allow him to do that? I should say, am I going to allow him to do that? I'm not, I'm not trying to address anybody. I'm just saying this is, these are some of the things. How about covetousness? How about pride? How about doubt, fear, despair, distrust? Think of all the sins. The flesh is the beachhead. It's what lets it in. It's what lets the world come in and lets the Satan come in. So when Satan is winning, you just allowed him to come into your front room and take charge. What do you think of that? You guys like that? This is a mean battle. It is a real war. And you can say, well, that was just myself. I messed up. Yeah, you did. You shouldn't let him do that. But I will tell you, he is quite a force. But you have everything that you need to win this. That's why we're going through this. It's not just to get intellectual knowledge. This 
is how we can win our battles. What are you going to do the next time somebody does something that you don't like? You don't even know who they are, but they've just done something. You know, you're at Walmart or something, you know, and they, they cut in line. What are you going to do? You're going to mumble all sorts of different words and start thinking terrible things, and all of a sudden you made them into the worst creature ever in the history of mankind. <laughs> what do we do with that? Where did that come from? Where does it come from? Fiery darts. You just had a fiery dart come at you. You say, well, I've never really had any real war with Satan. I don't have fiery darts. Some people do, but not me. Yeah, you do. You have them all the time. You're not recognizing them. Um, Evil thoughts. Did you know that some of the greatest saints that have ever lived, when I say greatest, we're talking about people we're familiar with that have written big-time books and such, that have made an influence on us, some of the, the ones that we know the best and love so much have had some of the most terrible questions and doubts come in their minds. The Puritans want to go on and on about some of the things that came through their just their thoughts. You know where those thoughts came from? It wasn't of themselves. A lot of times you can think on some, or have a thought and not sin. You can say, where in the world did that come from? Why did I even think that? Guess where that came from? You just got a fiery dart. You got a flaming missile that was fired at you. How about blasphemous thoughts? Horrible, horrifying. People that we respect the most, who've written great books, and they talk about some of the most horrible, blasphemous thoughts they've had. And most of the time we assume that's our own thoughts. And Satan can't get into your mind and control it, but we can allow him to bring those issues up when we see something or uh, something comes in our mind and then we start proceeding upon that. Satan can really bring in some terrible imaginations. We can conjure up scenes in our minds. We can depict certain events. We haven't done anything with it, but... He's working on us. Those might be fiery darts that are being fired at us. I'm not trying to scare us. I'm just trying to get to reality, though. Fiery trials. Look in 1 Peter 4.12. Satan knew the enemy. I mean, uh, Peter knew the enemy. Peter knew. I'm sure Satan knew him, too. Oh, he knows him very well. <laughs> Even more so, right? Yeah. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Here's what you do with it when you get one of those fiery trials or what? Fiery missiles or what? Fiery darts. What do you do? Verse 13. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. This was happening. Terrible persecution in the time of Peter. And he says, why do you think it's so strange? Well, why do you think that this is so odd? This is normal. It's not that strange. We are strangers and aliens, and as we live in this world for this time period, things are going to happen to you that uh, you wouldn't want to happen. It's not going to be strange that it happens because we are uh, we're strange here. 
Dennis? Yes. Um, speaking of hedges that God can place around his people to protect them, um, there are uh, apparently different times and things when he'll, God will allow the hedge to be purged around me, around you, and other times when it just being more guarded by, by God. You know, there's yeah. out, out, his outside control of these things, too. You know, I, I mean, all I can say is I, I, I'm kind of, I know I'm speaking from experience, but uh, it's in from biblical accounts, Joe. Just, I think uh, if we're thinking about it, if we're in the Word and we're in prayer and we're mindful of things like sin, confessing sin, things like that, it seems like there are times when I, at least I've been aware, where God seems to throw a stronger hedge on I'm not as perplexed or tormented by some, some of my own lust, you know, things that might otherwise want to overcome. You know, it seems like there are different intensities exactly. of temptation. That's a, and that draws a good balance because I know I'm overemphasizing this, yeah. but um, Romans 8 um, talks about we have uh, an interceder, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and people praying for us too. There's, almost yeah. There's a lot of things, and that's like putting the shields together. Yeah. You know, we have yeah. fellowship there. That makes us that much stronger. Yeah. So there's a lot of things going on that we don't know we're being protected a lot of the times when God and His angels are doing it. And so, you know, I've I've not brought that forth, but I'm glad you come on that side because aren't you glad that a lot of times we're not even thinking that we're in a, in a spiritual warfare unless you happen to be studying this? It's good to be aware of it, but a lot of times we forget, and it's amazing how God is still protecting us. He always is. You know, it's not that we have to be mentally, well, oh, that's Satan, that's Satan, you know. Yeah. But it's you know, it's just living a normal, I mean, a, it's no normal Christian life, but living, living your life uh, every day and just, just being aware, being watchful, be diligent, exactly. But uh, even when we don't know what to pray for or we're not even praying, the Holy Spirit's interceding for us. Other people are praying for us. And so God's on our side. But um, Satan would like uh, to, to make you think that, hey, you're, hey, everything's just fine. That happens too. Pilgrim's Progress. How about those guys that were sleeping uh, out there alongside the road, right? Um, and they should have been watching. 
and waiting. Yeah, we become lax. We, um, the directions that the enemy hits us with, all directions. It's not just from the front. Just when you think you've got that side done, then he comes from the side. And he comes from the back door, right? And when you think of what happened to, to Jesus, for instance, in Matthew 4, Satan just kept coming from every different angle, different directions. Matter of fact, three of them. Let's see how he tried to work on Jesus. He, uh, Jesus won this battle hugely, and he never did lose a battle to Satan, and never will, but Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You notice that? The Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So God was in control here. When he had fasted 40 days, 40 nights, after he was hungry, now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the devil took him up into the holy city, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Do we have two verses there that he quoted? Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. He's taking things out of context, but he's using Scripture, Satan is. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, All these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. You get all of this. Right. (laughs) Jesus already knew what the truth was. Now, he does have a cross that he has to go through first, but this is all his. He already owns this. And that's what we have to remember too. When we get tempted like that, we got to remember the promises that God has already given us. We have those promises. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and ministered to him. The devil left him for a while. Came back. Wow. All directions. Hold your shield in whatever direction you have to hold that up. Say, what shield? Well, before we get to the shield of faith, we're about at the end. You ready? Look in Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Let's see what it says about a shield here. We're going to close this down. Where did the night go? It got burned up. 35 and 6. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. And that's the answer. He's a shield for all those who what? Put their trust in Him. Now, what does he say? The shield of faith. This time, the word faith, going with the context, even though it's the same Greek word, doesn't mean what it did before. It does. It means it means faith, but it's not the faith. When we said the uh, the belt of truth or the the faith. That is the whole counsel of God, the whole Word of God, all the teaching and such. This time, the faith is not that body of truth in that sense, although it's very much related, but it's talking about our actual trusting in God. I'm going to believe in Him. It's not having faith in your faith, as has been the teaching for a long time, but especially in in our time. And uh, that's called the faith movement. But it, it's 
It's not faith in your faith. It's saying, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I, if I can just believe enough, I'll be okay, right? If I, if I believe... Well, trust God. Trust Him. Believe God. Cults produce um, people who have faith in faith. If I say something positive, if I, if I really have faith in this, then, um, then it'll happen. And that's not what that's saying. It's, it's believing God, trusting. I think at the end of that Wizard of Oz movie, the, uh, the good witch is telling Dorothy something about, well, you could have gone home all the time if you just would have believed in you know, you would have had uh, belief. belief in the belief, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Well, faith, faith has an object, doesn't it? Yeah. What's the object? Or better, who's the object? God. Faith always has an object. Today, people say, well, just believe. Just believe in something. It doesn't matter. Just believe in something, right? No. It's believe in in God. Uh, don't look at, at self, but believe God's promises. Believe those. Um, the promises of God, believe in the power of God. Uh, you feel very weak? You feel very frail? Yeah. Feel like you've been beat up? Yeah. It's okay. Trust God. God is our shield. God is the shield. Put Him up. Believe in Him. Uh, he is our very present help in trouble. Hold up the shield of faith. Our battle, I'll close this out, is against the personal evil one and his hordes of personal demons. And the word there is personal. We're fighting spiritual forces, beings, real beings. They are personal intelligences. They manipulate evil. That is what is going on in our world and around our own lives. And if we can recognize that and have our feet prepared, the gospel of peace, recognize being ready, being firm, and also just trusting God, putting that shield up when those darts come, when those attacks hit, recognizing that they're trying to manipulate evil on you individually, personally. And it's a personal attack and recognize keep standing keep standing trusting in God Paul is just saying that over and over and over and over so those little little bitty sins that happen to us that don't seem that big it's another fiery dot dart that's been shot at you another fiery dot and it might be you thinking those things but ultimately where does sin come from anyway and that's how serious of a fight we have Don't let the enemy get you where you know you've been attacked and you have lost over and over and over and over again because you have everything to draw upon to win that battle. Amen? Eldon, could you close us?